Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the lush but not lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film, Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 586 to 5 Bloods. I always feel like an idiot when I have to say "duh." <laughs> Five like anytime they do that with with a title, I'm like, I I I can't say that. <laughs> feel like such a poser when I say. I still call them salt and pepper. You, you use the a n d, not just the n. I use the and and the er, <laughs> salt and pepper. You know that is such an interesting thing, and I know we haven't introduced ourselves yet, but if you think about it, it, it gives such an impact to the film and a certain tone, and it works perfectly with everything that's going. Hey, hold on, I'll you keep going. I'll be right back. I gotta yell at some kids. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go around the table because we have a guest who's just sitting here nodding who can't talk. That feels rude. So uh, we'll go around the virtual table. Hi, I'm Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kevin, and this is Tom, and uh, on the. Uh, Skype phone with us is Kalis Davis from Feel and Film. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good morning to all of you. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. So what I was saying with the title was it's perfect for the film, but sometimes you feel weird saying it, and I guess it depends on who says it, but it almost feels like, I don't know if you would say cultural appropriation or like, you know, how do you say it? What inflection do you put on it? I don't know. Does this make any sense? Uh, Kales, do you have an opinion on this? When I say duh, five bloods, does that sound weird or? Um, it does doesn't sound weird at all. I mean, you guys hit it right on the nail. Um, duh, you know, uh, that's been a lexicon in black culture ever since I've been born. You know, there have been songs like The Butt. There is like, you know, the duh. So when I saw The Five Bloods, I thought Spike was kind of like um, doing a reference to his 1988 film School Days, where which had the song The Butt in it in a dance sequence. So I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, y'all said it right, you know, um, it, it is. It does feel kind of weird because you're used to seeing the yeah, sure, and then the duh, you know. But it's just a part of um black culture. So, and I feel like it's empowering too. Like that's a positive and empowering thing to add to the film, right? And it's funny that you mentioned school days because it starts off in a similar fashion to this one, right? Where it's like the archival footage. Mm-hmm. 
like historical photos, you know, just like yeah. really transplanting you right into the era. Yeah, and it's definitely something that Spike Lee does. And uh, I remember it in school days, not that that's the only other time he's done it. But yeah, a tool that he uses for sure. And it definitely serves this film starting off that way. Shameless plugs. Don't forget we're available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Be sure and subscribe. Uh, so you never miss an episode and of course check us out on Facebook facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there like the page join the group uh, just so you can be a part of the conversation and of course our patreon patreon.com slash real spoilers where for five bucks a month you get all sorts of bonus content and the uh, the pride of helping out and we like you just a little bit more so um, so anyway uh, there okay now let's uh, get into the the film proper well, maybe we could all start by saying where we landed on the film. I mean, first of all, I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, but I was really surprised to see the audience reactions, like the low ratings and everything. I was trying to figure out why that would be. And maybe it's because Netflix doesn't usually put out a movie like this. Or I don't know. Uh, this is Spike Lee's first Netflix exclusive film. Well, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What do you mean that this isn't the type of film that Netflix would put out? Like, what do you mean by that? Because Spike Lee is a hell of a filmmaker and an auteur. Mm-hmm. and he doesn't make simple movies so what i'm saying is I that netflix movies maybe are a little bit easier to digest and maybe people saw a new netflix movie and it's got uh chadwick boseman and delroy lindo and other big names and of course spike lee and then they watch it and they go wow this movie's really making me think i was just trying to find an action movie and check out or something but I, w- I don't know but if if I think of the biggest name attached to the film is Spike Lee, and he's, I mean, he's pretty much a... Sino- but Chadwick Boseman's Black okay, Panther, I mean, but, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but... Daryl Lindo. But, but Spike Lee's got, you know, a 25-year head start <laughs> yeah. on Chadwick Boseman, with all due respect. And, and but I also think Spike Lee is, is a brand at this point. Like, and you, you, if you walk into a Spike Lee film... And and you and you're surprised that there's a certain political content to the film like that's on you, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, anything against the film or whatever. My point is that on IMDb, this movie only has a six point seven out of ten, which is just that's insane to me. And, you know, anyone can rate it from the audience. Is it insane to you? I mean, when you like here's. There's about 38% of the country that thinks this thir- certain no, way, and there's about true. 38% of the people that apparently are giving this a bad review on IMDb. Ah, you think for politics, people are rating it poorly. I will let you connect your own dots. It's the same thing like when Get Out and Us came out, and people were just like bombing those re- with negative reviews, like racist people were coming in and bombing it with negative reviews because uh, it had a black person on the poster. Oh, uh, that's a real shame, because honestly, I swear, I didn't even think about that. I was going straight to audience reviews like they thought it was too deep or it wasn't what they were expecting they wanted like a lighthearted action movie but uh imdb at a fifteen thousand votes had a 6.7 and the audience score on rotten tomatoes is 57 that's insane so that makes no sense but i think you hit the nail on the head and it's very sad that people are rating this poorly or review bombing it because of the politics but here's the here's the thing about this movie though is I don't really Spike Lee obviously is a political filmmaker that's just kind of what he is and what he does but I don't I'm I, I didn't get like any 
political. There's definitely like parts of it, right? But it didn't feel like he was sending a message. He was making this movie about these men and their life and things that they've went through. But I, I didn't. But that's political, Joe, because the whole thing is how poorly the black soldiers were treated during Vietnam. I think the reason why it doesn't seem as political is because most people think Vietnam was terrible. Oh, maybe, maybe. And we're talking about Vietnam, which is a war that people hated. And most people agree we shouldn't have been there. But I will also say it's a war most people feel that way about in retrospect. Yeah. When, you know, right? Like when it was going on, that was not the the take it i mean it, it i mean there's a reason people compare now to the late 60s and it's because there were a lot of people that were like no we're at war you support that and 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 you're gonna see those lines drawn a lot of the same ways not just racially but geographically it was you know it was the rural areas that were like we're gonna send our sons to fight this war and because that's what good americans do and like you know and and so it's yeah i mean i, I don't don't think there's a way you could talk about Vietnam and not talk about politics. And, and obviously there's a, a political message to the film. The, 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 you know, arguably the main character of the film is a black Trump supporter. Yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, turn a blind eye to that? So we talked at the top of the show about how it starts with that archival footage and it starts with Muhammad Ali, who was, very vocal against the Vietnam War. Very, yeah, very much so. And then I went to Martin Luther King Jr. And then they go to Trump and it says President Fake Bone Spurs. That's how he's labeled on the video. <laughs> and they call him that in the movie. Yeah. So now that you mention it, the bad reviews because of the political views. Yeah, I 100% agree. That's what happened. And so there are political views throughout this entire movie, and it'll be interesting to get into them as the podcast goes along. And of course, podcasting is an audio medium, is not a visual format, but Kles is a black man, and I'm interested to see how these things and events in the movies were interpreted by him and get his point of view. And I'm sure he took a lot of things that we missed, and I'm sure he'll be able to expound on different issues much better than we ever could. For for me, the first thing I took away is that Spike... He found a film that really shows the black experience of Vietnam. Um, you know, he talked about films like Splatoon and uh, Metal Jacket and Born on the Fourth of July. And I'm not going to lie, those are great films. I mean, Born on the Fourth of July is probably my favorite Oliver Stone film. But the one thing you didn't see is that you saw the black, you didn't see any black faces. You know, you saw mostly a lot of um, the white experience of Vietnam, you know, but if you look at the stats and the statistics, they tell you that over one third of the fighting force were black soldiers. And in the film, they talk about how they're being used as cannon father. Like they're on the front lines and they're being kind of sacrificed for a country that doesn't even respect them when they get back home. You know, there's even a section in the film where the Vietnamese radio DJ, she mm -hmm. comes in and talks to the soldiers like, why are you fighting for a country that doesn't even respect you when you get back home? You can't even get rights there. You know, and it's the same thing that's happened in every war. Like, I know this is kind of going to feel random, but I kind of, I have to tie this in. Like, has anybody seen HBO's Watchmen? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you are abs. I was thinking the entire time I was watching that DJ, I was thinking the exact same thing. Because mm -hmm. there, I think it's in the second, third episode in the beginning, they show World War One. These black soldiers are marching through Germany and these leaflets are flying from planes and and it's like Chancellor of Germany is talking to these black soldiers. He's like, go to a restaurant without being like kicked out. Like, can you enjoy the freedoms that everybody else 
enjoys in America, you know, you shouldn't be fighting us. You should be fighting your own country because mm-hmm. they're your enemy. And I feel that Spike, he hit that right on the head when the soldiers are talking and they're talking about like, we gave everything to this country. You know, we built this country and yet we still don't get treated with respect. So in a manner, you get a sense of black empowerment. You know, these guys are, yes, they put their life on the line and they're clearly affected by Vietnam. But in the end, they see themselves as the five bloods, these five guys who have a lifelong bond. And I thought it was very, very beautiful. So I don't see how, yes, the politics are there. Of course, it's a Spike Lee film, but I think people are also missing out on the five bloods themselves, these five guys, and just how traumatized and how affected they have been by the war. That's kind of what I felt. That's kind of what I meant is like the story isn't the politics, like you said, are there. But it feels like this is their story. These five these five men who were in the trenches together, uh, you know, losing a friend in the heat of battle like this is their story. And yes, it's it'd be ridiculous to say that Spike Lee doesn't have a political slant. But to me, this story, this this movie was mostly about these five guys coming back together to get what they deserve and what they fought for and what they you know trying to make their lives better and that's that's a bone of contention when we get to that scene what they're going to do with this score right like the the chadwick boseman character says we need to give this back to our people and i think they were all on that page in vietnam but as life progresses in the real world and now i i guess we're in 2020 like the movie jumps to 2020 or i have to believe that since they referenced that trump is that trump is president so yeah, and they they're using cell phones and talking about email, and he's wearing a trumpet. So yeah, but I right. will say that like the age of the actor, the timeline, I struggled with in this film because it was like the actors seemed too young to be Vietnam vets. But I I also think, or at least be Vietnam vets of that era. And but I I haven't actually clocked their ages, so maybe I'm wrong. But but I also think that that's kind of the game they're playing. And I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way. It sounds douchey when I say the game they're playing, but uh, uh, but the the narrative device of not using other actors or de aging techniques during the move. flashbacks. And yep, uh, once I once I kind of like locked in on that's what they were doing. It was very preferable to either the substandard de aging we got in the Irishman, yeah, or because the flashbacks. They're important, but they're not as it's they're not as large a part of the film in terms of like timeline, like in terms of how much time you spend there that like if they would use different actors every time they went back to Vietnam or the war because they're always in Vietnam. I just spent the whole time trying to figure out who was who. Well, so and so I'm just like I I loved the technique that he used. Like the the dropping it from the the standard widescreen format, dropping it to a four by three, yeah, just to give you that feel. I think it's a that's I've never seen that. That's a brilliant using film cameras that were actually used to document the Vietnam War yeah. during that era. Yeah, he had to fight Netflix to do that. They didn't want him to do it because it was going to be so much more expensive. He's actually filming on film, but yeah, he shot the current stuff on digital, and then the Vietnam era stuff when he goes to the four by three aspect ratio that's with the cameras from the time oh i just thought that was just a digital recreation of that look no that's actually film oh cool 
That's brilliant. That's a brilliant move. And I have to say, I loved the fact that they did not de-age them digitally uh, or use prosthetics, because think about the Irishman and how distracting it was the entire time you're trying to watch that film, right? Takes you out of it. Yeah. It's so distracting. And in this movie, after you see it a couple times, you get what they're doing. 16 by 9 is current day. 4 by 3, Vietnam. You were never distracted. Uh, You never question it again it's there and you're just connecting with the characters the entire movie i'm so glad they didn't de-age them digitally it was a brilliant move yeah and i think the use of the 4-3 aspect ratio was very very timely because we have to remember that vietnam was the first war that was televised yeah yeah absolutely what was it called the living room war yeah it was the living room war you know you could sit back and you know the small the how the small the tvs were back then you know with the black bars right there but you were watching everything happen and you know now we take that for granted now that anytime there is a conflict we can see footage from that but it wasn't like that for world war one or world war two and this is the first one that happened and the de-aging to be i thought it was kind of weird that you know i saw the (laughs) current form i I turned to my girlfriend i was like wait a minute is, is that them like now but (laughs) <laughs> you know, Spike was like, you know, come on, like, use your head. Like, you know, you know that these guys were young during this time. But I also kind of felt like these guys were just reliving the flashbacks. And it's kind of like them old cells are just being transplanted. Yes, exactly. It's their memories. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yes, it was their memories and stuff. And they were just li- and they were just reliving them. So I thought it was very beautiful. I will say the only time I had an issue with the the aspect ratio flipping in the different cameras was uh, there's that that middle part uh, with on the boat where the guy tries to give him the chicken and, and uh, you're getting some of it from the vantage point of one of their camcorders. Oh, Eddie, Eddie has like that old style. Yeah. uh, Handheld and videotape camcorder. Yeah. When it flipped to the camcorder footage, I was just like, well, I'm, I was really confused in that moment because I was like, is this a flashback? What is happening? Like I, it took me a minute to realize that kind of that image on the side was supposed to be camcorder. I think oh. they should have put like a little like, you know how you get that record thing in the upper yeah, left hand sure. corner. They, I will I, say there was like a little weird like yellow. That's what I mean. That little yellow thing off to the side. Yeah. yeah. But I've never seen a camcorder do that. So but I haven't <laughs> used a lot of camcorders. But but <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just that that was the only moment where I like especially because it was only used really in that one scene and it was pretty deep into the film to kind of flip the structure a little bit that I was sure. like, what are we doing? But sure. uh, so honestly, my, talk- my only complaint about this film is that I wonder if it would have worked better as a, as a TV show because there's a lot of story packed in here. Yeah. And when, and when you get the hints of the backstory of like, uh, of, of the, the guy who, you know, ha- who has a father to child while he was in Vietnam, which was that's, not that's uncommon. Otis. Yeah. Yeah. Otis. Um, I like I just felt like, oh, man, this has a very rich backstory that maybe would have benefited from even more runtime, like a band of brothers type miniseries. So let's talk about who Defy Bloods are. So um, in the current day, so you've got Paul, Melvin, Otis, Eddie, and then Paul's son, David, who is kind of like he's like the new fifth member of this the modern day five bloods so they were actually named after the temptations Temptations, that was a really cool (laughs) touch and then their squad leader in the flashbacks um uh is named norman who was a producer for the the temptations so kind of a cool little trivia nod there and norman's played by chadwick boseman who we we don't know like when we get to present day we know that he's gone but we don't know 
what happened. How? Don't worry. Yeah. We'll yeah. find out. <laughs> oh, we're going to find out. So, yeah. So the whole the whole movie opens with the um, remaining five five bloods coming back to Vietnam. And we d- initially you just kind of think it's them just kind of getting back together in this country where they uh, shared this bond. But as we move forward, we learn uh, that back in the war, they were tasked with going after this downed plane that held a, uh, I, I'm hesitant to say the word treasure, but that's basically what it is, is this, it's a gold, it's, it's this, (laughs) it's this trunk full of gold bars and rather they, they all decide rather than saying we found it, they say, we're going to bury it and we're going to come back and we're going to, it's ours. Like this is our money. We deserve this. It's for our people. Um, and they all kind of go along with it. They kind of this touches on what we were talking about earlier with how the black soldiers were treated. They call it reparations. Yeah. They're fighting yeah, yeah, for yeah. it's their gold because and they actually label it reparations, which I thought was interesting. It's always interesting to see how people rationalize and justify their actions and they make some very good arguments, especially Paul, who is he's kind of taken on the role of leader where Norman was their leader of the platoon, but Paul seems to be the leader of this operation. who's played by Delroy Lindo. And, uh, they, they, ma- how amazing is that dude? I mean, yeah, they, he's fantastic in this movie. He's never bad though. Like I've never seen a movie with him where I was like, eh, he's kind of the weak point. That dude's always good. He's always good, but he doesn't usually have this much to work with. And that is true. Is a, this is a fantastic script. Now, uh, this was written by uh, the same guy that wrote Black Klansman with Spike Lee. So, I mean, that was just a couple of years ago, and that movie was fantastic. So, yep. um, you know, so they teamed back up for this one. Did you guys know, speaking of Oliver Stone, this was supposed to be an Oliver Stone movie before he passed on it, and it was supposed to uh, follow around white soldiers. And so Spike Lee took this movie and he turned into what we see today and gave it the black storyline. and. I think this movie is so much more powerful. I mean, I don't know what that one would have been. It might have been a fine treasure hunt type story, but but this movie has so much more to say. And I think the fact that he he applied this lens to it is a brilliant move. And I, I can't imagine any other way at this point. Yeah, I mean, Spike, I mean, the way he's able to interwoven like historical footage throughout the film has always been one of my favorite things about him as a filmmaker. Like this guy just has thousands out of everywhere. You know, I mean, speak, go back to the opening where he has that little mini dance sequence of like the five guys going through this um, Vietnamese club and just dancing to Marvin Gaye. That was just such mm-hmm. a beautiful scene. It Apocalypse Now. Yes, it the reminded me called. of the scene from Black Klansman where, um, you know, the leading character and his girl were dancing in the club and you just see all these black faces just enjoying them. You know, I do think that Oliver Stone, yes, he could have made a great film because, I mean, he was a Vietnam War soldier. So, I mean, he knows about that world, but I don't think that we get this. Like something that really like hits me hard you know because we've already seen what oliver stone can do with like platoon and born on the fourth of july so it kind of would have felt like a retread but for spike this is kind of like a new arena for him because this movie also feels like more than a drama it feels like an action adventure in some way totally i totally agree we get some action sequences in there and and like hey they're, they're wrong and you know my friends have been coming to me like man these action sequences are like lackluster and stuff and i was like yeah but do you really come to spike lee for action scenes like because i know <laughs> I mean, this I is i might go to james cameron or somebody like that for that but no this this has a lot of action for spike lee and this is his most expensive movie budgeted between 35 and 45 million dollars so that's yeah a so lot. explain to me how this movie that's insane can look at that's insane to me that spike lee is this deep into his career and and 40 million dollars is his highest budget ever Crazy, but so huh? here's the spike with spike lee though he doesn't 
he is kind of he needs that personal issue like that he's he's that grounded filmmaker right he doesn't need a big budget and you know who else doesn't need a big budget is martin scorsese if spike (laughs) lee can make a movie that looks like this and looks as good as this there's no reason there's no reason that scorsese needs 300 million (laughs) dollars for the irishman he needs that million he needs that (laughs) you know what you know what he needs i i could even i could even agree with like 90 million for the irishman I think we all we all can agree that that budget for that new movie at like two 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 twenty is no, and that the new Walk Among the Flowers or whatever it's called, Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, two hundred twenty million dollars. You do not need that to make no, no. Yeah, and I've read the book, so I don't I don't really understand like (laughs) what he needs two hundred million for because the book is very very grounded itself. Yeah, Yeah, I mean it's he basically he needs it to recreate the time period. I'm assuming, but but. Again, like it's it's not from a from what I would envision to be its visual aspect. It's not some grand sweeping epic. It takes place pretty much mm-hmm. in, in poverty stricken Indian reservations, and I, like I it it can't be that difficult to recreate. Not two hundred and fifty million dollars worth. It's got to be some kind of weird tax shelter at this point. Like how how on earth could you spend that much money on that movie? It's just no idea. He's, He's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. I'm not doubting that, but that budget's ridiculous. I'm just gonna point. I just here put. Let me put on my conspiracy tinfoil hat. He didn't need these big giant budgets until he started hanging out with the Wolf of Wall Street guy, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see, now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Got to his head. I yeah, <laughs> he's like, I can do what in the Cayman Islands? Yeah, yeah. So they they have this night out, and they're introduced their tour guide, and I think with Paul, there's an immediate. They don't really hide that Paul, I don't know if he doesn't want to be there or if he just doesn't want to be. He never got over. He never got over what happened. Yeah. And he does not want to be there to an extent. I think you can say he's racist. I mean, I I thought I felt that that's kind of, you know, anytime he has an interaction with a Vietnamese person, even the guy who's their tour guide, he is having none of it. The tour guy, no, the tour guy he's actually pretty cool with, which was surprising to me when I back, I went back and watched it a second time because I thought yeah. the same thing. But like when this kid comes up, he's like, get away from me. You, you oh could get, yeah. You could get the feeling he doesn't want to talk to any Vietnamese people. But when his tour guy comes, he's like, he's like, you know, we're cool. Hey, what's up? And see, I know. took the kid at the table is different because they, because um, but the movie never circles back around to address this, but like they would in Vietnam, a lot of times they would send kids in to talk to the soldiers, yeah. but then they would have a grenade on them and pull the pin. And so I, I didn't take that part as him not liking Vietnamese people as much as like it was really triggering him is like, especially because the kid was missing a limb. And I think he was just like, it was really taking him back to that place of like, you can't even trust little kids in this country. Yeah, I don't. I I can see that, but the way he treats the people on the boats and stuff to me, he's. I took it as him being against Vietnamese people, and I'm not yeah. saying he doesn't have good reason. He has PTSD. He was traumatized by the war, but to me, it was like he was very much not willing to give these people a chance. And uh, you know, the people sending drinks over, he doesn't want to salute them. I mean, uh, but we're also kind of saying the same thing. I think. I mean, I 
agree the reasons are because of what you mentioned. I mean, he was in this terrible war where they were the enemy and he's got PTSD. So, um, but you know, I think also he wears a MAGA hat and he's a Trump supporter. So right. it's hard not to say those things are because of racism, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I that's think that's true. a statement but, they're trying to make. But yeah, with I mean, the I think stuff too. Those, but yeah, the Vietnamese people, like they were very much his enemy. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm old enough to remember like having grandparents that would like flip out when somebody bought a car that was made in Japan. Right? Sure, absolutely. Because we fought yeah. a war against them, you know, and yeah. it's you know. So I mean, there is certainly that mentality. I'm not sure, not lobbying for it. For the record. <laughs> right. You're not for it. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to Otis, who kind of breaks off from the group at this point, and uh, even Paul kind of says, "Look, just let him go. He's got he's got some stuff to take care of," and he goes to this beautiful. Uh, house in Saigon. I guess it's like a business. How business in Saigon? Uh, this woman comes to the door, and it's immediately apparent that there is some chemistry there, and there's some history there. So they sit down, and they're having this discussion over dinner. Uh, and he, she is basically their middleman to get to Jean Renault, who's going to facilitate selling this gold for them. Yeah, basically, if you, I mean, if you've have a chest full of gold bars it is very hard to get that out of the country without any explanation yeah uh, right where did this come okay. from you know what, what kind pet, of illegal pet peeve I... pet peeve here yeah. about, okay. about gold bars like <laughs> yeah. i feel like they never it, this is all all movies when they interact with gold bars their weight. they never they're the weight of them they are so heavy. Yes, but so you know so what this heavy. This movie does that's smart though. Is these aren't these aren't your typical gold bars though? I like that they made them into those flat rectangular little. They're smaller, the, yeah. Instead of the bricks, right. these are actually the little plates of gold. So yeah. that for the weight thing, when they hold individual ones, is helpful. I think. Yeah, but that still would probably be fifteen or twenty pounds, and the way they're just waving it around, I'm like that. I'm, these I'm guys like, are jacked. It's Delroy Lindo. Come on, <laughs> they're also <laughs> seventy five. <laughs> <laughs> I could see David. David makes sense like david no. is ripped to, ripped to shreds yeah but so melvin like he, you know <laughs> no that's a, that's a pet peeve like tom said that's an every yeah. movie with gold it's sure. every at least yeah. it's heavy when they have the backpacks on they yeah. they show a sense of weight yeah. yeah right uh so he sits down and they're having this conversation and this girl walk this is the moment that almost brought me to tears uh this girl walks in and it's very obvious that she is she's half black half vietnamese uh, and Otis has this moment where he's looking at her and she doesn't really like she kind of acknowledges him uh, and she leaves the room. And just the way uh, Clark Peters plays this part where there's almost no words. He hangs he, on he, it. Yeah, he can't it's... find the words. He's welling up. Uh, and it's not like he knew. She, it's one of those situations where I think this was a common thing where. Uh, women in Vietnam, prob- there are probably a lot of mixed children and adult adults at this point from the war, and they just don't, you know, they that's just kind of a thing. If, and if you know about Vietnam, the American soldiers frequented brothels. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, that's, that's and there were a lot of biracial children born, and the soldiers would leave the country. I mean, if you've ever seen the movie or the play Miss Saigon, which is also a movie, that is what it's about. So this is a very common thing that happened. You know, she was talking about how her child was being called like a cockroach, and like people would spit at them. You know, yeah. so it, like people don't understand like racism 
two different sides of ethnicity. So, you know, either you're not good to one side or you're just not black enough for the other side. And, you know, I love that Spike, you know, he he really did a great job of humanizing these Vietnamese people, you know, because mm-hmm. most of the time in these Vietnam War films, all we see are the Vietnamese people just being soldiers and just killing people and torturing them and all that. But these ones, he's showing that like, hey, this Vietnam War didn't just Americans, it affected the Vietnamese people as well. You know, not everybody was down with this war as well. It broke up families, like like what she said, like it broke up a lot of families. Like, you know, a lot of people ended up being hurt. A lot of people are suffering the same PTSD that Paul is even facing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think also it it's it's interesting to see because um Americans or white Americans, when they think about racism, they think about it in pretty simplistic terms typically, and it's and, and they typically think of racism in terms of black and white, right? Sure. And and uh Oh, there's all bunches of ways to be racist. So <laughs> let's, not, let's not limit ourselves, shall we? But yeah. but but this kind of shines a light on that. That it's like here's a situation where you know where whites removed from the equation and and there's there's still racism. It's it, I mean, there, like I said, there's a lot of different angles to come at that from. Yeah, so. yeah, and I just think the way the way that he plays this scene where he's not a bad guy. Right. He didn't do this and he knew that that child was there and he just bolted. It's he didn't know. Right. And, you know, it's 1970, whatever. There's no way to reach out to him in the United States says, hey, by the way, you have a daughter here. So there's just this moment where he feels awful that his his daughter has had to live this life. Uh, But also, like, I have a daughter. Like, I have this child here that I don't know. I think it's. I mean, it's such a powerful scene, at least for me it was. I looked up the numbers here, and uh, according to AmerAsians Without Borders, uh, they actually, if you go see the play Miss Saigon, they actually show this really touching footage, and they show real children that were born uh, from the GIs when they would visit during the war. Um, and they they estimate between 25,000 and 30,000 children My goodness. born in the 10 years during the Vietnam war. So that is a lot of children that were left behind. Yeah. And, and like I said, he doesn't give off yeah, the vibe. Still that... haven't been able to get in touch with their real fathers. You know? Yeah. And they, and that's the thing is like, we're getting to a point now where they won't, Yeah, you know, like these veterans. And even when we get to the end and we find out what's wrong with Paul, a lot of these veterans have the same issues and not just the mental issues. I mean, the physical stuff of things they were exposed to, uh, over in Vietnam, whether sure. it's Agent Orange or whatever, it was over there. So they're, we're getting to a point now in 2020 where those veterans are going to be dying off. You know, I, I mean, how many World War II vets are even still alive at this point? A handful, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. You know, yeah, it's it's very sad, but yeah, for this character, it's it's really touching uh, that I mean, in that moment, he discovered, like you said, Joe, he didn't know, and so there's this child that he couldn't help, didn't even know existed, right? And so it wasn't like a malicious thing, but here now he he finds out, and and I agree, a great performance as he's he's discovering this. Where where has this guy been? Oh, he was in. My favorite TV show of all time is The Wire, and um, mm. Clark Peters, oh. he plays a character there named Lester Freeman. So great in that show. So that's where I knew him from. I, I pointed to my girlfriend, yo, that's Lester Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> and you know? I think that, that That's a testament to Spike Lee, right? Like, Spike Lee has an eye for talent that you may not know, and getting to showcase... Like, Delroy uh, is just one of those dudes who... I, 
you know him. You recognize him. There was that clip of him. I, I assume it's from a, t- a TV show where he's on like a, a news show and he's calling the, like the, the white guy out because he can't say a certain word. Like that's the clip that's been going around recently. And I don't think that's a real news thing. That must be from a show. Um, It would be amazing if that was a real thing just to watch him tear that dude apart. But he's always been one of those actors that you, you recognize him. You recognize the guy that plays Melvin. He's another one of those. I I feel like I've seen him more in comedies, but Isaiah Whitlock jr. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in the wire as well. Yeah. Those two were in the, yeah. Yeah. He was the corrupt Senator guy. Oh yeah. yeah that's right. Yes. <laughs> um, with his um, famous phrase um she you know <laughs> and there's even one of those uh he even says he it does in this it in movie. this doesn't yeah. he yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just he had and and the guy and david i think was phenomenal yeah, the, david majors was amazing like mm-hmm. you know you think when you're first introduced to david who is he kind of shows up in he's the son of paul Pel, delroy lindo uh he shows up in the hotel room and you kind of think that he's just he's scamming the whole thing. Like that's the that's the interpretation from that first scene. Right. He shows yeah. up, give me one fifth of the gold, kind of thing. Right. And and Paul's like, uh, no, go f yourself. What are you doing here? Why are you here? He's basically like, well, if you want any of this money, you're gonna get cut me in. So I mean, he does pretty much blackmail him into it, but his reasons aren't. It's not as bad as you would think up front. Um, but real quick, I have to say, have you seen the last black man in San Francisco? No. Oh, top ten for me um, last year. Yeah, it's an amazing film. It's so good. That's that's what this guy was just in, Jonathan ah, Majors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the lead in that, and I mean, he that movie is so good. You got to see this. And those are the three guys that you basically focus on for this movie: is Paul, David, and Otis. Uh, Chadwick Boseman is barely in this movie, but that's they they plan it that way. Like it's not it's not like they're yeah you know he's a he's a side character that they got him for a cup of coffee. He's yeah, a great actor. Um, th- he filmed a, f- the, a few of the flashbacks. I mean that's the thing is we, we know he died. We don't know how until we get into the movie. Um, but after they find the gold, they end up getting into uh, a skirmish with the Viet Cong, and uh, he ends up dying. And I guess should we just spoil now how he dies? Since that is the show. Sure. Friendly fire. There was a, uh, a, a Viet Cong soldier that came in from the side of like this airplane and uh, Paul reacts and fires wildly into the, the same area and accidentally hits uh, Norman in the gut and kills so him. So I think that I think that says a lot when you go back and watch the movie the second eye second time through these new eyes you see maybe why Paul is a little more messed up, right? He the war right. sure, the war was sure. hard and it affected everyone, but he killed his platoon leader, like their friend and and I mean he has their to idol. Like yeah. like it was more than a friend, it was their idol because yeah. I mean he was he was teaching them things that they had never heard of. And mm-hmm. right. I think it's right. I love the fact that like if that character had made it home, he probably would have literally been a Black Panther. <laughs> I mean, you're yeah. not wrong, you're which right. is great considering the actor that they cast in the role, you know. Yeah. So Paul's dealing with that, the trauma, uh, and he's carrying that. No one else knows this. So he not only went through this terrible experience like they did, he did three tours in Vietnam, but he also killed Norman. 
Norman, yeah. yeah. Stormin' Norman was his nickname. Uh, so he's carrying that, and it says a lot about the character, and it helps you understand him more after you've seen the movie. Um, but, yeah, that's how it ends up happening, and you don't see that till t- closer to the end of the movie when you see yeah. the whole flashback of what happened. Right. You know, Derroy Lindo, I mean, he's just able to just, like, show that through his facial expressions, you know, his body language, just the hurt that he's going through. I mean, can you imagine, like being responsible for the death of your best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He talks about how he still sees him in his dreams and like, yeah. he can't sleep because he's talking to ghosts and, you know, Norris has been hunting him. But when he, when he has that epiphany in the jungle, he's, he's talks to Norman. He's like, it's okay, man. You know, we bloods, man. You, I don't see how you can't cry at that moment. It, no, it was, it was, it was very it was, emotional. It was a gut punch. And just like, and even the, you know, granted it's, it is Paul's version of that, person right like i think paul we're just okay so we're just gonna paul is gonna die and in that moment he's having this um vision of norman standing there he's like look man we're good like it was an accident now granted that is paul's what paul wants to see and i'm you know but it is still that moment of relief where he that he can get from norman uh in death that he couldn't get in life did you take that as induced by the snake bite from its venom? Well, he's been shot, but yeah. <laughs> and he's been bit. But at this so, point, at this point, though, I mean, it, it was it was early. Like he gets bit by the snake before the the bad guys catch up with him in the yes. end and, and end up taking him out. So I took it as that snake venom <clears throat> was making him kind of hallucinate, probably. And also, yeah. a, a pet peeve of mine, Tom, is when people yes. try to suck the venom out of a snake bite. That's <laughs> yeah, not a thing. That? No, you cannot oh. do that. Oh, because you'll swallow the venom. <laughs> no, well, you don't ever. Out. You don't. Sw- Joe, you've if... still got it in your mouth, Kevin. You spit, not swallow. I know you're used to swallowing, but yeah, I true. Not <laughs> but also, don't do that. <laughs> what do you do? Just let it. Well, what else are you going to do at that would, point? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, Look, here's you, the thing. You got it. Okay, so here's what you do. You you tie a tourniquet around above the bite to I'm stop still the gonna... flow of the venom. With one arm. I will mean. I'm just telling you. I will do that, but I'm still going to try and suck it out because I'm telling you right now, if I like, even if it's not going to work, I'm still going to try because here's the thing. Yeah, the adrenaline's like growing and everything. You're just thinking about surviving at that point. You never know. If I'm in an elevator that starts to fall, I know it probably won't work, but right before it hits the ground, I'm I'm going to try and jump up. Right? Like that's. That's I know it's not going to. I know physics. Aren't going to be on my side, but you know what? It's the only game plan I have, and God damn it, I'm <laughs> hold, doing it. Hold on, I don't know if I should even say this, but Joe may be right. I just looked up WebMD, Thank and there's you. an there's an article called "Don't Suck a Snake Bite," and yep. it says it's a scene played out in countless cowboy movies and survival shows. A hapless snake bite victim, blah blah blah. We know what we're talking about. Quote: The evidence suggested that cutting or sucking and applying a tourniquet or ice does nothing to help the victim. <laughs> tourniquet is your tourniquet is your best bet. It's that's well, according option. to what Kevin just read, tourniquets don't work either. So there, you I'm go. just saying yeah. that's the better option mm. than trying to suck the venom out. This has yeah. been this has been nature survival <laughs> with a guy that doesn't live in nature. Uh. <laughs> Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, so they um, they meet with they Jean meet Renault, yeah. who I love that guy, and. Anytime he gets to play a bad guy, I was like, okay, that's fine. That's I guess I haven't seen him in a while, and I'm not. I mean, people he get older. Old. I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's just he what happens. I'm not 
But I looked at him and like, this is Leon the professional. Like, I mean, not, yes. not anymore. He, he's the retired professional. <laughs> Leon the grandpa. Yeah, he's, no. Yeah, at best he's semi-pro now. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just like I look. I had to look at him for a second though, and I'm just like I'm like that's John Renault, right? Like I love oh, yeah. that guy. Like he's been in a lot of movies. Um. Anyway, but yeah, so he's he, always great. He is their he's their go between. He's gonna get he's gonna facilitate getting the gold out. Uh, and getting them the money that they deserve. Now they're going into the jungle and they're going to use these maps. And it's great that they don't use any current, like they have a satellite phone. Yeah. They're using maps. And they, cause what happened was, is there, I mean, we all know about the mudslides. I mean, it, it was news. Like it was a massive deal as the amount of mudslides they had in Vietnam. Uh, so the, the plane had been covered and just recently through satellite imaging and whatever, they think they found like the tail of this plane kind of where it should have been so they're going back um the melvin i think has like a metal detector and he's they're looking all over and finally they start pinging they're in this one spot and they start pinging big time and so we should say that earlier in the movie um paul's son has an interaction with this french woman and the these two i don't think the one guy one guy's american that one guy is not French. I don't know what he... Paul Walter Hauser, who was just in that Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, he played Richard Jewell, and he was uh, one of the guys who took out Tanya Harding in yeah, uh, I, Tanya. that's right. That's I, Tanya, yeah. and he was also in Black Klansman. Yeah, those both of those guys were in Black Klansman. So I was like, oh, they're in good roles. Yeah. I'm happy to see that. <laughs> yeah, but Paul Walter Hauser is awesome. He's a great yeah, actor. Yeah, he played... What was that guy's name? Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. have not seen yes. Richard Jewell, that movie is phenomenal. Like, with the exception he, his, of the portrayal of the reporter. Oh, well, okay, whatever. But, but, the, yeah. but <laughs> it's a but, little problematic. But, but his, <laughs> but his performance and um, Kathy Bates. Yeah, that's his mom. Oh yeah. my god, that brought me to tears. It, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it, but this is based on the historical events. Kathy Bates, who plays Richard Jewell's mom, is at a press conference and just, oh my god, if you don't tear up during that, you have no soul. Like, but it yeah, is, he plays he plays the douchebag or the doof doofus that clubs Tanya or the clubs Nancy yeah. Kerrigan and then can't shut up about it. Yeah, that movie's so good. I Tanya. I Tanya's amazing. Yeah, yeah I really Tanya's good. great as well. Oh. I was excited to see him pop up here, and I'm glad that Spike Lee's using him. He's he's great. Um, yeah. So they meet these, and the, what they all, what these three folks are, is uh, during Vietnam there were landmines planted all over the jungle. I mean, it's throughout, it's all over the place. So there are, and in in real life, there are organizations that go through these areas and try to. Because I don't think you can disarm them, but at least get rid of them because that's a problem. Like, it's a big problem. There was actually even, I think there was a Superman comic book about it. There was. that was, And that was Prince, one of Princess Diana's big charities was trying oh, to is that right? landmines. Yeah. Okay. What do you do? Throw a bowling ball at it and run away? I mean... I mean, we saw what they did with with the sun. <laughs> I'm just no. I'm, well, yeah, you don't disarm it that way. That's for sure. But like, I mean, that would be a crazy. I'm not really sure how you would do it because, like you said, I don't think you can disarm it. You have to let it. Maybe off. you I, just maybe you just like detect it, back off, and throw something at it. That's what I'm then, saying. Like, I think I, you. I think, um, I think what they normally do is you just you find somebody that you really don't like. <laughs> and, and then, tell them to step there. Yeah, you just invite hey, go them walk all that walk. way. Let's have a little stroll. I kind of actually wanted to see a scene of them like disarming a landmine because I hear about it and I know that there's people out there who do it, but it's kind of like I, I want to see it because, like, how do you do it? Because once you step on it, right, game over. 
Yeah. You know, it's only matter. Yeah. I thought in that scene where the where where David is that the character's name? David uh, yeah. step steps on the landmine. I thought they were gonna like like Indiana Jones it. That's what I thought too. And, and slide put, a yeah. piece of gold on there and then yep. just leave yeah. the gold sitting on there. I, I think I think his weight's just too like it needs. It needs I didn't a know how much. I, yeah, I, I don't I don't change my own wipers, so I really don't know much about the mechanics <laughs> totally. of a but, landmine. But uh, like, but I think it's pretty common knowledge that people know that there's landmines planted all over Vietnam from the war. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say, I was waiting the entire movie up into the same for someone to step. I Once mean, that they is, started digging for that yes, gold, I was yep. like, every time they started digging, I was like, son of, don't stop. Like, especially whenever, when they get to that last one. Whenever anyone would stray from the group, and yes. I was just like, "Get back!" Because I was, I, I'm like, "Get back with the group!" Not because in real life you'd be safer, but in a narrative structure, yeah. they're not going to kill all five of them <laughs> with a landmine right, shot, and with you, an hour left in the movie. You but, know what it is, though, Tom. When they, when they find the gold, it is so triumphant. Yeah, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's totally too, like the like it's even like too much, a little bit too much, in my opinion. Like they, it plays like a little over long, and yeah. the music is really like just so triumphant and that's why i'm like spike lee wouldn't just have this happy moment like someone's right. getting blown up <laughs> so i waited for it the whole time and it never came but still it's like in the back of your mind and then right. and then uh, it happens yeah it's, it's a like Eddie. a double head yeah. fake i will also say the scene where they where they they save david from the landmine yeah and uh i just thought the optics of that were fascinating in that he constructed a scene where, and I don't know how to say this it, in de- with it delicately, but the, the, he constructed a scene where they used a rope to save a black man. And I just can't help but feel that he had to have known the, just the, I don't know, just the political ramifications or not even just, or even the, the, the imagery, the imagery of like them doing that. I just thought, I thought that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. I and I thought the way that the tension is used in that scene, I don't know about y'all, but I was literally on the edge. Yeah, totally. Please do not let him die. Like, whatever you do, please <laughs> save him because I can't take another death in this film because Eddie had just uh, been. No, we're not. No, we haven't. Oh, you're right. You're right. We did lose Eddie at this point. Yeah, because right. Eddie had been blown. I was like, oh my, like, not the son. Like, you know, him and his father rekindle a connection and, and to lose him. In the fight for finding this goal and finding Norman, it would have been just yeah, it would have been disastrous. Sure, Spike. I mean, I think that's honestly one of Spike Lee's best moments as a as a filmmaker. It, it's a fantastic scene. The tension is there, like you said. I mean, and it, it comes at just the right spot because you would just watch what happened to the other guy. Like you know that that there are real risks in this film, and that they they are they are willing to kill people. We're going to find out they're going to kill off pretty much almost everybody. But, but like at this point, you don't know exactly what the stakes are. And, and, and it's still been a, you know, for a Spike Lee movie, a relatively lighthearted adventure. Kind it of is, it is like a weird, uh, getting the band back together, action comedy adventure, like a treasure hunt for a lot and, of yeah. it. And then this is where it turns. Like to me, this is where it turns. Yeah. It, 
brings in a lot of different films and a lot and he openly acknowledges it i mean you get ride of the valkyries as yeah. they're going up like for you know which is now synonymous with with apocalypse now daniel bryan from the wwe i agree you're right <laughs> and, and, <laughs> that and you club also in vietnam is called apocalypse now with the yeah. poster is yeah like the right drop and you know them look this them looking for gold and and you know, it's very much treasure of sierra madre where at one point somebody even says we don't need no stinking badges yeah <laughs> He does is, say that, which yeah, I thought was very funny. Straight yeah. from Treasure of the Sierra. So it's like, I mean, he's 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 definitely pulling in these different films, but but he's you know he he's aware of it, and and uh, and he makes sure that you know that he's aware of it, that he's not thinking he's pulling one over on you. You know, yeah. There's tons of references to other films and yeah. war films. He he definitely knows what he's doing, and I agree I, that that shift in tone happens, but it's very. It feels very organic in the movie. It's not jarring. Yeah. It's not uneven. Uh, the tone when it switches switches, and then it's off to the races, and it really fits the narrative and i mean from this point there's the danger uh like you said people are going to die off it, 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 you know we end um but oh there's a lot of foreshadowing i wanted to mention there's a lot of foreshadowing and, and the beginning right. of the movie they talk about uh a real black soldier i think he was only 17 years old or something but he died jumping on a grenade and mm-hmm. i think it was marvin actually says or melvin i'd sorry, never do that melvin says i he says i love you guys but i would never do that and they're like no one wants you to and <laughs> that's foreshadowing later in the movie um they say uh five bloods never die they multiply and yep david becomes one of the five bloods uh, so there's a lot of foreshadowing he sets up and it's neat to see that play out especially on a second viewing yeah so they they get the gold and while they're getting the gold uh melvin is uh like dude he has the metal detector and he finds another what he thinks to be more uh more gold and they start digging and they find um, an AR-15 or an assault rifle, and they're just like, this is this has got to be him. This has got to be Norman. So they all start jump. They jump down. They all start digging, and they find his body, and they find his dog tags. We should mention real quick. That's technically why why they're there. The reason that. Like, yes, th- their cover story for going to get this gold is they're going to bring home his body so that he can be laid to rest and get his, you know, honors and everything. Right. So they've all uh, locked this up with the government that their clearance to be there and to they've got the their papers. Back. They've got yes. everything they legally need to get to get it done. Uh, and this is a, it's a, this is where we find out what happened. Oh no, we find out what happened when. He gets bitten by the snake. Yeah, that's later. But but you see the body, and like they have this moment, like they've they're reunited with Norman, and it's a really touching scene with all of them, and it's his skeleton and his dog tags. Right, and they, this is where we start arguing about the shares and what they're going to do with the money, and um, you know, they money becomes the root of all evil, and they even say that at one point, and because there's so much money involved in getting this gold out, so they start trekking back. Uh, they take a break, and this is where another big fight between the the five of them about what to do with the money uh and eddie explains he's like i'm broke like i have no money left this is all i've got like you know three marriages gambling debts blah 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 he's the guy that's supposed to have his life together he's a big right he's the one that financed this whole thing like he's you know uh and as he's walking away he steps on a landmine and gets blown to smithereens um he's he's a head and like shoulders he's a a head he's a he's an upper body half a torso yeah and half a torso and no arms no legs i mean the makeup effects are practical like that's it is next level gore you know they dug a hole he's in a hole and then he's got a practical bloodied like stumps for arms and and, like squirting blood all over the place this is how it's done it it, yeah this 
Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we, we talk about practical effects and as far as war movies go, that wasn't a thing probably until Saving Private Ryan where they double down on the realism of like what would happen to your face if you took like a shell to the face and things like that. So I'm not saying it's a joy to watch something like that happen to a character you become invested in, but seeing the practicality of them using real effects and real blood, not real blood, but like real <laughs> movie blood. Well, if they're going to do it, do it right. If you want to yes. show how, how much war is hell and, and people die and it's terrible, like you're not going to get the full effect of that unless you see it. And that's what these filmmakers do when there's they show you the truth of the situation. Right. It's like, a small enough effect too. like it's, it's yeah. you're not you're not looking at six people. Right. You're looking at one person where they can devote uh, time and makeup to making that look as as gnarly as possible and they did like it's not a it's not a fun scene to watch and it's also something spike lee does when he shows you when he inserts real film footage he's reminding the audience that this oh, is yeah. just a movie this is real life i think that's what's so powerful about a lot of his stuff is he implants that and you're like wow these you know he's telling you this story but he's also planting the seeds for why he's telling you the story and what he's trying to show you and so yeah his movies come off as uh, very truthful and i using the practical effects again and not doing de-aging and not doing a bunch of fake CG blood. Uh, it makes this movie hard hitting. He also, he shows that video, yeah, that, yeah. that infamous video. I guess it's a picture. It's nobody ever really finishes that video. It's that picture. But what's that? I don't what's the, that? of the, of the, the Viet Cong soldier or general shooting that guy in the head. Oh, like that picture is, is famous. Like it's, I think, I think it probably won, I think it won a Nobel Prize or it won some prizes for like the but a Pulitzer or something. Yeah, they yeah. stop at that moment. You never see the end like I've seen that video and there it's 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 real. Like when the guy hits yeah. the ground there's legit blood squirting out of his head like out of the head wound and oh, Spike Lee right. shows that. He shows yeah. that whole thing in its entirety. Joe, I have to disagree. You have seen that before cuz because remember we talked about they use that footage in the monkeys movie head. But do they do they go? They, do they show the entire thing? I don't know if they show the blood, but they show the gunshot and the guy they falling. Do. Because yes, I remember right. talking at the time like this is ultimately like a PG film, and they literally <laughs> showed someone getting killed in it. Like, and I mean, yeah. I get that it was all over the news, and at the time people had probably seen it on their TVs ad infinitum, and so nobody really thought about it through that prism. But, yeah, but, yeah watching it now, I'm like, uh, I Whoa. just watched a, a snuff film within <laughs> yeah. this movie. Like, so, you did, yeah. So yeah. there's the great scene where uh, now David's on the landmine, and they have to devise a plan. They remember, I think, back in Vietnam, they actually a saved big country someone boy. the same way. Yeah, they tie a rope around him, and they all get on, like, tug a rope, and they pull him real quick. Like, you know, the one thing that this film does very well, like any war do, is just showing you how war is hell, you know, sacrifice to be made. You know, war is not just something you jump into just to shoot a gun or anything like that, you know. You know, taking a life is not like stepping on an ant. Like, when you're taking away a human's life, it does something to it. It changes you forever. From my personal experience, I have seen people go and join the military for all the wrong reasons. Like, people are sure. joining because they, like, hey, they, you know, they want to have more money or they want to be able to buy this Camaro or they want to just have, like, that prestige of just being in the military. But you have to be ready to sacrifice something, like, whether that's sacrificing a friend, 
maybe possibly horribly sacrificing a limb or maybe you sacrificing your own life or coming back to America and not being able to readjust to what's going on. Like what happened to Paul? He said that he came back and he was so haunted and traumatized for what he'd been through. He wasn't able to get a connection with his son and his right, son is telling right. them his son is telling him like, hey, you know, for all the things that you did to me in my childhood, this one fifth of this goal, this will be enough payment. And, you know, also there is also the subplot in the death of Paul's wife and his mother. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's another layer that gets peeled back. And, and Spike handles that very well as, along as well, which is why it should have been a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> It should have been. Should have been. I think you can take anything and make it into a TV show now. You know, well, a lot of these yeah, guys, especially since they don't have twenty three episodes anymore. It's when they, you could take the Hateful Eight and turn it into a four hour miniseries. You know, <laughs> you, you could do it with this as well. Like six to eight episodes is the perfect sweet spot. Yeah, I it's think perfect. I, I'm going back and rewatching Lost, and it was a great show. Like I remember how great the show was at the time, but to get through 22, 23 episodes in a season is crazy. I'm watching. I just started watching Marcella on Netflix. Yeah, and it's the it's a British TV show about a. It doesn't matter, but it's each it's three seasons, like four episodes, and each, eight, <laughs> eight, yeah. and it's like it's the sweet spot. Like eight, six to eight is your yeah. sweet spot. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the way it should be. Um, yeah, so when they get all of this done, uh, Paul, this is Paul's turn. Like Paul has always kind of, he's walked that edge of not okay and okay. And kind and having his son there has kind of helped, uh, just kind of steer him in the right direction. But as soon as the, um, bomb diffuser people realize why they're there, Paul says, we got to kill him. Like they, they're going to go back. They're going to tell all these people that we're here and we're going to lose everything. So they kind of take them as their hostages Yeah. and they have to figure out, you know, they're getting back to the, this meetup point. Otis, they kind of hint that he might be addicted to oxys, but they never go into it. Like he's got a bad hip or whatever, and he's taking oxy to alleviate some of that pain and to his, I mean, he's carrying Lord knows how many pounds of, you know, these, these guys aren't young and they're carrying this massive amount of weight on their back. Oh yeah. It would be. And and that was when, when they were hiking, that was before they even found the gold that he was hurting. So yeah. Right. And on the way, on the way back that, you know, uh, Melvin kind of slips him a couple oxys as well. Cause he's got them, but never really said anything. Uh, and this is where, uh, Paul's son, turns on him kind of you know he's not really turning on him but he's doing the right thing well, yeah it's n- not turning but like it, everyone thinks paul is crazy like clearly paul is traumatized i mean he is kind of crazy <laughs> it's hard to say like what he's saying is true like these people probably will tell someone yes and, but obviously the ethical correct thing to do is not to kill them or kidnap them so he's acting crazy and everyone doesn't agree with him and finally david is like we're not going to do this right you know, and he, and he hits him go. he cracks him he cracks paul in the back of the head and he's like we're just gonna you know paul uh takes his gold and he leaves he said you know well, I guess they get up not to the yet, top. Not, not yet. yet. Not yet. He, they get up to the top where they're going to meet their guide. They have to explain where Eddie is. Oh, that's right. And he Otis kind of says he, he broke his ankle. He's going to come back for yeah. help. And the guide's like, is, is that, that true? true? And he's like, no. No, it's not. Uh, so the the I, I took him as like Russian or Eastern European. Seppo. Runs away. He gets loose when they're all tied up uh, at night. He runs away. Right. Yeah. And uh, he ends up like when they get to the the, vant- the meetup point, 
here comes Seppo with three like cars full of militia men. Yeah, he got captured. Like you know, he was run away trying to get help, and he ran into the wrong people. Right, and now mm-hmm. we've got a now we've got a firefight, and this is a great. I mean, I don't think Spike Lee doesn't do action sequences very often. I think Inside Man, Inside Man, yeah, but I, Man, that good. that's kind of the only th- he doesn't. Re- that's not his get. That not, that's sure. not his jam. That dude can direct the out of an action sequence. This is good. This, this is, is really, really good. good. It's really yeah. good. This the scenes with the Viet Cong uh, at the airplane uh, in the in the past. This scene here, and then the scene at the end at like the the temple are fantastic action sequences. I thought the actors handled themselves and the weapons really well. Yeah, you know? like yeah, these guys I, yeah, to for me, sure. they seemed like soldiers. Clearly, they're not using real ammunition and all that stuff but just the way they held the guns and the way they were in war like i i don't know it it really seemed again true to me i don't know what training they might have done but it was authentic looking yeah i agree Mm -hmm. um so they pretty much win this part sort of they they push the runs away here right right seppo runs away and he steps on a landmine and he doesn't get the the Paul, no, the uh, Eddie treatment. Tre- the, the, uh, no, the Eddie treatment where oh. you get a little bit like there's nothing left to oh, Seppo. Oh, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, they didn't is, rescue this guy. <laughs> no, no, no. He is gone. Like there there was nothing left at that point. Uh, a massive firefight where they kind of push off the this militia for the time being. David is shot. David gets shot in the leg. And uh, Paul kind of says, they're coming back. Like we got to get somewhere where they're going to go. So Otis says, I can call that woman from the beginning of the movie. Well, also you got to remember, like because of all their distrust earlier, Paul's already like, I don't, he thinks Otis is working. Yeah. With this woman who's working with Jean Renault and they think, right. Because they find a gun on Otis. Yeah. He's like, you're going to kill us all. Like that's, that's the plan. So he's already not trusting. And then he's got this whole, like, you know, his PTSD with the Vietnamese and he thinks the tour guide Vin is maybe in on it. Uh, and so he's just like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. And yeah. He's, so he takes, takes his, his, takes his, takes his share and leaves. So mm-hmm. that leaves us with the rest of our, so it leaves us with Melvin, Otis, uh, what was the son's name? David. 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 And the two, rem- well, yeah, the, the tour, tour guide, guide. And then the two remate, the two remaining, uh, bomb diffuser people. Mm. Uh, and, and the tour guide says there's a, there's a temple over the gas can is the, the gas on the truck that they had had been shot. So they're losing gas. There's enough gas to get us to this temple and we can try. Like we'll give it a we'll give it a go. <laughs> they killed most of the militia, but the head guy got away and they know he's gonna bring reinforcements. Right, right. Especially with all that gold. Exactly. So they just kind of decide to pack it in and we're gonna go and make a last stand at this uh place and we'll see what happens. After I guess I have to say real quick, after they went through all that stuff and the militia comes and they say here you can have this one bar of gold. I was so mad. It's like it's it's like when you're it's like when someone's mad at a waitress and they leave a a tip of a penny. Yeah, oh, it's what like a, what a jerk it's, off. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's douchier than just not tipping at all. <laughs> that scene brought me back to a scene that's in Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker, where Chris Tucker's mom comes to his room and gives him a dollar to go to the store. He's like, "Hey, hold up, what am I supposed to do with this?" She's like. This ain't enough. And then she's like, make it enough. So, 
but man, it's like, you know, they offered because they obviously they're not they're not really in the position to make demands, but they're like, okay, we know that uh, Eddie's gone. You can have his share. Like, we'll split this with you guys. Let us go on our way. And he's like, oh, you want to split it? And here's your one gold bar. I was so infuriated. <laughs> you know, I was happy that they took some of them out. But man, this this next scene to me. Whenever we get to the Academy Awards, whatever that's going to look like in 2020, yeah. mm-hmm. this is the scene that should win him the, I guess, best supporting actor. I, it's no, hard. To, it's hard. Best you think best actor? Best actor. Best actor? Best okay. Actor. That which I just I. It's such an ensemble piece. It's hard to yeah. But there's nothing supporting about this this performance. Yeah. You know? Well, the I just mean the entire time this has been a supporting cast. It's at this moment. That you could, I, I I agree with you that it should be lead actor, but this is the time where he kind of breaks away from the pact and does this incredible, yes, two scene monologue. It's amazing. This, yeah, this this is the like the scene that if you're gonna remember stuff from this movie, this is one of the takeaways. His performance, yeah, this looking like, looking straight down the barrel of the camera, talking to the viewer. It was phenomenal. This is like how um, you always remember that uh, Alec Baldwin scene, that always be closing scene. Oh, from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, like, you know, it's a a great film, but you remember that scene. This is always be cobbling, Kevin. Always be cobbling. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I agree. This is, and this is, this should, who knows? Like I said, it's a weird year, man. Like, we don't know what is going to happen in 2020 yeah. when you uh the invisible man is the number one movie for i don't know what is it like <laughs> 20 weeks in a row which is just it's uh, you know it sets a record for being the number one movie for the longest who time who knows but he should be nominated that's all and without question yeah. without yeah. question um so he you know he does this monologue and he ends up getting bitten by a snake sucks the blood out or sucks the that's venom. A, that's a thing yeah <laughs> uh falls down um this hill and gets his legs stuck and this is the moment where i was like well you're screwed like there you've you've got a snake bite you've got a broken leg you're you're effed in this jungle and it goes back and forth but we should just basically say the militia eventually catches up they track him they did uh, make him dig his him. own grave yes yeah and he won't give up the look he knows he knows where the others are but he won't give it up and they're sure. just like cool and they unload their weapons into him and kill him oh terrible uh but we should also say that was brutal man it was brutal i never really like okay i'm not saying that i'd be any stronger or tougher in the situation but when you know you're gonna die i always think like that's weird the dig your own grave thing because it's just like i'm not even gonna do that just kill me now like what are they gonna do they're making him dig a grave i guess you're just trying to buy yourself time you're gonna go out i want to go out on my own terms yeah not digging my grave like i don't know i it's just a little pet peeve type thing but it's i agree (laughs) <laughs> but he's got like six automatic machine guns pointed at him and he has lost his weapon at this point. Yeah. And no, so it's you're whatever. just trying, I, I agree. Like, I agree. Yeah. You're just trying to buy some time and maybe like, it's like, no, you dig my grave. You have to bury me. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing, it. you're going to kill me anyway. Yeah. I'm too lazy. I think I would take the bullet. Even if the, if, if it was just dig this hole, I <laughs> can you just, <laughs> you know, just it wasn't me. A, yeah, I'm just Tom, like, Tom, we're just asking you to dig a, a, a little hole for a, a, to store some water in. Like, nope, no, 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 no. This is like gardening. I want no part of it. <laughs> so at the uh, temple. So we, sh- we should say that like before we get to that, to the point where the militia has him is he has uh, a vision of Chadwick Boseman kind of looking up into the sun. And uh, like CD said, this is where he gets his, um, I don't even know what you would call it, like closure. 
yeah. with he, with Norman. He forgives him, right? For, yes. Norman says him. it was an accident. I know it was an accident. You know it was an accident. We're good. Like we're blood. Like that's it's don't worry about it. And yeah. then of course he gets shot in the chest. Yes. Um this next scene is kind of the reveal that Jean Renault has been in on this the whole time. Uh he shows up with he shows up with militia and there's a massive firefight. I keep thinking of uh um the Green Goblin in what Bo- boondock saints <laughs> oh where he's talking what? about the fight you know it was a firefight <laughs> i'm like uh, the green goblin what does that yeah, have to do with what, you know who i'm talking about <laughs> yes you're talking about willem dafoe the actor thank you very much that's <laughs> who green, i'm like jesus christ goblin. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so he he pulls up and of course they've already you know uh otis has divide has figured out this plan he's like he tells melvin that you take the top we got the the fat guy is going to try to like be our scout. We're gonna just going to we're going to take him out. We have the idea like we have the high ground sort of where they're going to be out in the open. We have all this cover and it's a I mean, it's a massive firefight and it's wonderfully shot. Um, they you think there's a moment where like, oh, they might pull this off. You know, they they did John Renault get shot pretty quickly. There's some interesting camera angles. And I think maybe because Spike Lee isn't an action guy is that maybe he adds a unique perspective to where he's not yeah. like, yeah, I do action all the time. He is a great director. And I think he thinks up some pretty inventive angles. And it was a really interesting scene to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes non action scenes or action scenes filmed by non action directors can be better because yeah. they're they're more concerned about the narrative and sometimes a lot of action scenes just kind of fall apart and just it's a lot of kinetic energy but you don't really know what's happening where i i think uh you know somebody like spike lee is like still even within that moment still wants that action scene to have a narrative structure so you kind of know who's where in relationship to who else and right. kind of, you know, who's winning and who's got a gun and who's got bullets left and who does it. Like, I, I just feel like they're sometimes they're just better at like not letting them turn into just this editing blender mishmash, which we see all the time. And you yeah. care about the characters is the other thing. Some people are complaining because the movie's two and a half hours almost. But the thing is, you've got a lot of backstory. You've got a lot of character development. And by the end of the movie, they've made you care about them, which you couldn't yeah. have done. I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't shave a little time off here or there. But, you know, in a short movie, you're not going to care as much about them. So I think yeah. it was it was well paced for what it was. What were you going to say, CD? No, because I was saying because in the beginning, you know, when they were talking about them being cannon father, that's what they would have been if we don't get the if we don't get the backstory for these yes. guys. You know, sure, in action sure. films is better. It's better when you care about the characters because you actually have some real stakes in where the story is going to go. You know, it's better than just seeing this guy's like, oh, this guy's going to get killed. Oh, that guy's going to get killed. Like, no, I want to be like wow, like, man, you know, I really like that character. Like, why why do they have to do him like that? You know, it, it makes for a better film experience. And it's and it's also on the flip side, like it's not just a happy ending. Everyone lives because that's not realistic. No, it's not realistic. Right? Like, there's no way these guys are going to go in here, get the gold. That triumphant music's going to play. They're going to fly them out. They're going to get their shares, be rich and happy. You know, like which you kind of get, but in a different way. But well, right? Yeah. But, but they it'd be too easy to just do that and so spike lee takes you on a more complex journey and he's weaving you in and out of this narrative and the characters are complex and so yeah by the time you get to this final gunfight you care about these people uh and you see melvin ends up as was foreshadowed he does end up jumping out a grenade and saving um otis yes uh and 
Oh, you th- Otis gets shot, and you think that Otis is you know is going to die. He's got Jean Reno kind of has him dead to rights, and he gives the "We don't die, we multiply" line, and then here comes the son and puts a bullet in Jean Reno. And I do like the line where he's like, "I've never fired a gun in my life," and he was like, yeah. "You'll learn." <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's you know, I I assume we lose Otis, right? Like, no, that you no, think that l- you think that last scene is is real? I thought that was like kind of what we got with paul no otis is alive he gets to he's the only i mean david's the new like honorary blood but yeah and otis survives okay i thought i don't know the way that the way they film that whole last scene where he goes back to saigon and he meets up with that woman again and sees his daughter and they have this relation this reconnecting it, it just felt it felt very dreamlike to me and even like the way the camera moves at the very end with both huh. of them smiling and then the like them kind of like being on like a gurney and being pulled in like this unnatural kind of way. Yeah, but Spike Lee, that's his shot. Yeah. That's yeah, that's also like, correct. He <laughs> loves that shot. He does it in, I mean not all of his movies. I when did uh, I think he does it in all of his movies. Does that Inside Man that Oh, he does it way before Inside Man. Does I'm he? Sure okay. Yeah. I just Yeah, but, he uh, did it in Do the Right Thing, Malcolm yeah. X. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah, Denzel and Malcolm X is going down the street with the dolly. He does that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because he does it in the opening in the club too, all with all they're four not, of them. It's not. I was. That's what I was just about to say. I love yeah. that scene of them dancing, but they're like dancing. It's not a dolly. It looks like it, but it's not the same thing. Really, it looks like they're all moving it like simultaneously through the crowd, though. I don't know. It should have been because I was just about to say I thought that was the dolly scene, but the way they moved didn't look as fluid. Like they were. I. I don't know. Well, either way, yeah. Anyway. You get you get the traditional scene, yeah, uh, or the vintage. Uh, but Spike, I think, it, but I, I get what you're saying. I think if an, if another director had chosen that moment to use that kind of a shot, it would, it would, it would support your theory more. But because Spike Lee uses, this, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, this that 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 shot so frequently, I don't think you can read any metaphysical undertones to it. Like that's you fair. Could. Absolutely Other. no. That's just him getting that shot in, and and yeah. you expect it. And yeah, I mean, he's the one blood. I I'm glad they gave us one of them because, as unrealistic as it would be for them all to die, like if all the bloods died, I just right. think that would have been. I also, mean, good luck. Lo- how the hell do they explain that? What's like that? on the way on the way back? Like they're right, like to, where, to where, the where? Americans? Like yeah. where are they? Yeah, like, where are they? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Eddie would have been hard enough, but right now you got to explain where the other ones are. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we get a breakdown of each person because even uh, when the 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 mine people get involved, they want to share, and then the uh, the tour guide wants to share, and so mm-hmm. like Otis is trying to divvy up all of this money, and I do like where Melvin's like, God damn it, like stop giving away our money. Uh, <laughs> but the so, minefield people give it to their organization and dedicate it to their friend yeah. who got blown up by a mine. Uh, I guess Melvin's went to a Black Lives Matter movement or an organization. I, I guess that Melvin's was Melvin's widow gets his share. Oh, that's right. That's and right. Eddie's share goes to the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay. And then uh, the tour guide, uh, they don't really. What does he do with it? They uh, he has it like he's sitting at a desk, but it, yeah, they. I don't think that. Yeah, I think maybe he just. Yeah, he just has his hookers started, and blow. Hookers and blow. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> he started his own business, is what I'm guessing. Oh, a known tour guide business, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, David got his, and I would think uh, Norman. Maybe did they send money to Norman's family? Did they ever mention anything about? So they that? they you see Norman's family with the casket. 
I'm guessing they gave him some money. But I have to believe they got something. If they brought him home to them and, and yeah. There yeah, his two sisters casket. and everything were right there. Yeah. You know, I was like, there, there's only one casket. I feel like there should be probably more. Right. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of how this, I mean, you get a, you get an ending with um, Martin Luther King, like giving the speech. Is that, did it, was the, was it a month, a month later he is shot? Year later. A year later. This is, and, and that's kind of how it, yeah, and that's how this one ends with Martin Luther King giving a very impassionate speech. Um, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Like this is, we did, CD, we did uh, The King of Staten Island before, and watching these, they're two very different movies, but they're both phenomenal. Like they, this is this has been two very insanely well done movies. Was this supposed to be to Netflix right away, or was this going to be a theatrical release? Uh, it was Netflix. going to be a theatrical release, was it? Yeah, because Spike said that he like he's like you know I mean you're close down because of COVID, but you know the way to experience this is the big screen, especially when it comes to the action sequences. That's what he had. Yeah. Wanted. Okay. He hopes he just do again that he can re-release it back in the theaters. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was just looked it up and it says in February it was announced Netflix would distribute. So yeah, I guess it, yeah it was made previously. Okay, it's good to know. And it's I'm glad it got. I'm glad somebody was able to get this out because this this is given where we are in this country right now. This movie needed to be available. Although based on the IMDb reviews, it sounds like a good chunk of people didn't make it past the first four minutes. <laughs> well, that's their own dumbass fault. Well, like, that's true. you know. <laughs> Yes. And that's them trying to prove their own like little like ignorant points. You know, they probably weren't even trying to even give it a chance. They just wanted to just only see the first four minutes and be like, yep, yep, it already did. Yeah, what, right. What I didn't like. right. So I'm out. Sad but true. Yeah. Well, well, I guess uh, that's it for this one. Uh, let's go around the table and everybody can say where to find them. This is Joe. You can follow me on the Twitter at Joey Butts, B-U-T-T-S 21. This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. And CD, where can everybody find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, um, Instagram under black nerd magic you can also find me on facebook Colette davis and yeah <laughs> awesome thank you for uh for joining us today i know it's early where you're at so we appreciate that oh no problem man i mean if this is a, isn't a good enough reason to get up in the morning you know talking about a film <laughs> then i don't know what is so like thank y'all guys for giving me opportunity to do that absolutely <laughs> thank you, thank any, you for coming anytime and uh you can find me on twitter at roger kubert or on facebook at facebook.com slash tom o'keefe you can find the show online facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there like the page join the group wherever you're getting your podcast from be sure and subscribe so you never miss an episode and of course check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash real spoilers so uh that's it for this one no idea what we're doing next week maybe a return to the world of uh of misbegotten sequels we shall see but uh thanks for tuning in and until next time eddie mary's baby doll Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.